0: Amen. Pretty awesome, huh, guys? We, again, thank you to everybody who is a part of our Awana ministry here. Well, this morning, friends, we are going to be continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. You know, this incredible letter that Paul has written to... Uh, share with us the truths of who we are as, as followers of Christ, the tremendous blessings we've been given. And, and as, uh, as we've been seeing here in the last couple of weeks, Paul has transitioned now in the book, and he is now commissioning us as his people, as the church, to go out and live, to live our faith. And we're going to be talking about this some more today, the way that God has called us as the church and equipped us as the church to live for him. And to uh, go out and make a kingdom impact. As you are probably all aware, this coming week is Super Bowl week here uh, here in the United States. Super Bowl Sunday is coming up this uh, this next weekend, and uh, we won't have any talk this morning about what took place last weekend. So, uh, I know some of you were planning on uh, mentioning that, and I know I've had a few comments already, but we'll just let that go. And uh, we'll look forward to the game in spite of that. But, but we have Super Bowl Sunday coming up. And, you know, as we think about the Super Bowl, and I want you to imagine with me for a moment this, this morning, let's go back to the preseason. All right, let's go back to the preseason. It's, it's August, and I want you to imagine for a few minutes this morning that you are an ESPN sideline reporter. And you have been tasked with going and visiting the four leading teams projected to make runs at the Super Bowl this year. And so you go out to these various cities and stadiums and you go and visit these teams and you know the first team you go and visit, you go and you watch their game and it's the preseason and this team, you know, they're all huddled up together on the sideline before the game and in fact they're there uh, with their heads bowed praying together with their coach and uh, all of a sudden, you know, they break the huddle with a great cheer and and, uh, the coach goes running out onto the field all by himself. While the team stands there on the sidelines watching. Well, of course, you as a reporter, you're curious about what's going on here. So you go and you ask the team, you know, hey, what's the deal? Uh, Why is the coach running out there on the field all by himself? And uh, as a player, you know, the player replies, well, the coach, you know, he's going out there to play today. And you say, well, what do you mean the coach is going out there to play? And the player, you know, he says, well, you know, man, that guy, he's had a whole lot more training than the rest of us. He's way more equipped to go out there and play this game. In fact, you know, we've got a young team out here. And, uh, you know, we might make mistakes. Uh, Some of us might get hurt. You know, we don't know what we're doing. And and, uh, anyway, they pay the coach really well to do what he does. And uh, besides, I mean, look at all these people that have come out to watch him play today. And so, as you're probably already guessing, the uh, opposing team kicks the ball off, and the coach catches the ball, and he bravely runs up the field, and all of a sudden, wham! He's tackled by the 11 opposing players all at the same time, and they end up having to carry the coach off on a stretcher. Now, the second team you go and visit, the second team, they realize that they all have to be players. And so the second team, they're all out on the field, and they're huddled up together, and they huddle, and they huddle, and they keep on huddling. And after a few minutes of all this huddling, the referee blows his whistle, calls a penalty on him for delay a game, and ends up moving the ball back. And then the team, they get in their huddle again, and they start huddling, and they keep huddling, and they keep huddling, and pretty soon the referee blows the whistle again. And, and after a while, the team's moved all the way back to the goal line, getting penalized for delay a game because they keep on huddling. And, you know, you run out on the field as the reporter and you ask the quarterback, you know, what's up with all this huddling? And the quarterback, he says, man, this is the greatest huddle I've ever been in. I mean, what a great group of guys we got here. I mean, you should see these guys. Some of these guys have hundreds of plays memorized. It's incredible. I mean, we got a really incredible huddle going. And you say to the quarterback, well, why don't you guys go up on the line of scrimmage and play? play? Why would we play? I mean, we want to keep building this huddle. This is incredible. Besides, when we huddle up, nobody gets hurt. It's safe here. And it makes us feel really good to be all huddled up together. Well, the third team you go and visit, the third team, you know, this team starts out looking great. All their players come running out on the field. They're huddled up with their coach on the sideline. They're cheering each other on, slapping each other on the back. And, you know, when the game starts, all the players, they go running out on the field together just like they're supposed to. They approach the line of scrimmage, and just as they're about to hike the ball, some of the players on the line start arguing with one another. A couple of the players even get into a fight. This is before they even hike the ball. The referee calls a penalty for delay a game and you run out there on a field on the field as one of the reporters and you ask the players, you know, you know, what's going on out here? And one of the players, you know, he's walking off the field in disgust and he says, you know, this whole team is dysfunctional. You know, those two guys over there are arguing over the color of the jerseys. Uh, those guys can't agree on the proper way to huddle. That guy there, he wants to join the other team because he says their coach is a better play caller and I'm quitting because... I'm a way better passer than that other guy, but they won't let me play quarterback. Now, the fourth team you go and visit, the fourth team, this team is really on their way to the Super Bowl, okay? This fourth team, they got their act together. They're huddling up. They go to the line of scrimmage. They're playing together. All of the players line up where they're supposed to line up. They all carry out their assigned roles, and before you know it, they've marched down the field, and they scored a touchdown. And then they do it again and score another touchdown. And they do it again and score another touchdown. And after the game is over, you go back to the locker room and interview the team. And you know what? The team, they're tired. Their uniforms are dirty. They've got their share of cuts and bruises. But you know what, friends? That team, they wouldn't change where they are for the world. Now, friends, let me ask you something. Which of these four teams do you think has the best shot of reaching the Super Bowl? Which of these four teams would you want to be a part of? Now, if you haven't already guessed it, the four teams I've just described for us this morning are actually metaphors for the church. You know, we have a lot of churches in our world today that don't function the way God intends for us as the church to function. (laughs) And, you know, obviously as we look at those four metaphors this morning, these four different teams, team number four is the one that we'd like to pattern our church after. You know, this is a champion church. It's a church functioning in health, working together in unity of the spirit. The pastors, the staff, all the people, all focused on keeping the main thing the main thing, that is giving glory to God by advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a church where God's spirit is moving, and where lives are being transformed. And friends, this is the kind of church that God wants us to be. Don't you wanna be a part of a church like that? I sure do. Now, as we're gonna see this morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Ephesians, what we're gonna find today is that the Apostle Paul was inspired by God to give us, to give us a winning formula for building a championship team a championship church. This is what we're gonna see today in Ephesians chapter four, verses seven through 13. God has given us a winning formula for building a championship church. Take a look at this passage with me and then I wanna come back and make some comments about this this morning. Paul says it was he who gave, actually go back please. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, friends, here in this passage today, we find that God has given us a game plan, a proven game plan for building a championship team a championship church. And this game plan, this winning formula that Paul reveals to us, it consists of three key pieces, three key pieces. Piece number one that Paul shares with us here for building a championship team is a championship team needs committed leadership, committed leadership. And Christ, friends, has provided the necessary resources for his team. You know, friends, in order to build a championship team, you need committed leadership leaders who are so committed to the cause that they're willing to provide any and all resources necessary to see their team succeed you know i think of some of the great owners that we've seen in the nfl throughout history you know owners committed to their teams and seeing their teams win you know you think of guys like papa bear george hallis you know the famous owner of the chicago bears who the nfc championship trophy is named after Committed to seeing his team win. You think of guys like Lamar Hunt of the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, the AFC Championship trophies named after him because of his commitment to seeing his team win and providing the necessary resources. You think of modern day owners, you know, like Robert Kraft of the Patriots and Paul Allen of the Seattle Seahawks, these guys who are so dedicated to their teams that they give them everything they need in order to win. You know, of course, we also have the citizen owners of the Green Bay Packers, the Cheeseheads, right? You know, these great owners committed to seeing their teams win. You know, friends, just like all of these great NFL teams have committed leadership at the top, so too Jesus Christ, as the head of the body of Christ, Jesus is also committed to seeing his church be built into a championship team. And he's provided the resources that we need in order to make this happen. What are the resources that Christ has given us? Take a look again at verses 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, right here, the Apostle Paul in our passage tells us that Jesus Christ has given to the church two incredible gifts, two incredible resources in order to help build up a championship team. And these two resources that Christ has given the church are, number one, salvation, and number two, gifts. Gifts. Let's talk about these for a minute. In verse eight here, Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 68 in the Old Testament. Psalm 68, it's a victory hymn written by King David that David applied to God. Now, David in his victory hymn, what he's doing here in Psalm 68 is he's equating God with a conquering king who has gone out to fight against the enemy, and he has conquered the enemy, and now he has returned to Jerusalem, he has ascended up onto Mount Zion, and he's bringing captives with him, captives that he has won in the battle, and he's bringing the spoils of war to share with his people, that's the imagery that David has in mind. God is this conquering king, bringing captives back in his train, bringing gifts, the spoils of war, to share with his people. Now, of course, Paul views this psalm prophetically. Okay, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. And Paul sees this psalm prophetically as a reference to Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying here that Jesus Christ has won the victory. And now Jesus is coming home and he's bringing with him the spoils of war to share with his people. What are the spoils that Christ has brought and shared with his people? Well, number one, Paul says... Christ has won our salvation. And when Paul says that Jesus is bringing captives with him, he's ascended on high and he's bringing captives with him, what Paul is talking about here, when these conquering kings in the Old Testament times would go out and they would win a victory against their enemy, When they brought the captives home, what that meant, it wasn't just captive soldiers from the enemy that they were bringing with them, but it specifically referred to captives from their own land, their own people who had been previously conquered and taken into slavery, and now the conquering king has won the victory and he's bringing his people, those captives home, to free them, to bring them back to their families. That's what Paul's talking about here Jesus is bringing the captives home he's talking about our salvation friends it's like Paul says in Colossians 1 13 through 14 Paul says in Colossians 1 for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins this is what Paul means when he talks about Jesus ascending on high bringing the captives with him he's talking about us We're the captives. We're the ones that Jesus has rescued out of the dominion of darkness. And friends, what's incredible about this is Jesus has rescued us out of his love for us. It's a free gift that we've been given. This is is something that's incredible about Christianity. It's the only religion in the entire world that you don't have to do something to earn your salvation. It's a free gift, Jesus did it. He rescued us. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. God did this for us because he loves us. He rescued us and he's brought the captives home into the presence of our creator God. This is what Paul's talking about. The first spoil of war that Jesus has given his people is our salvation. And friends, with our salvation, we've already seen this in the book of Ephesians, with our salvation, Paul has told us that we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who empowers us. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit empowers us, Paul tells us here, is that he empowers us by giving us gifts, This is the second spoil of war that Paul talks about in verse 8. Christ has given his people gifts. Now, Paul here uses gifts in two senses. In verse 7, Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Now, Paul is not talking about saving grace here. What he's talking about here is ministry grace graces to carry out ministry it's like Paul referred to in chapter 3 verse 7 he says of himself that I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace see God gives us ministry graces to participate in the work of the ministry. he gives them to all of us we typically refer to them as spiritual gifts and that's what Paul's talking about in verse 8 that he gave gifts to men Jesus has given each one of us a spiritual gift for the sake of participating in the ministry. What are some of the spiritual gifts Christ gives us? Well, we don't have time today to do a full exposition on the spiritual gifts this morning, but there are two chapters in the scriptures that specifically talk about the different spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you read these chapters, you find that God has given his people different spiritual gifts to carry out the work of the ministry. Some of these gifts, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, interpretation, helps, administration. God has given his people these gifts. Some of them were for specific times in the history of the church. But all of God's people have been given spiritual gifts. Now, you probably recognize some of these gifts, and you probably know maybe your spiritual gifts, or you see some of these different spiritual gifts at work in some of your friends, some of the people that you know here at the church, okay? God has given each one of us spiritual gifts. Now, understand this, friends. Jesus is building for himself a championship team. He's building up the church and every single one of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, who have received salvation and have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, we have all received at least one of these spiritual gifts, okay? There is no such thing, friends, as a non-gifted Christian, all right? None of you got cheated out. You all have a spiritual gift. Now, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But for now, friends, what I want you to understand, I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think about this. What a privilege. What a privilege that Jesus has given us these incredible spoils of victory. You know, when you think about these two things, these two things alone that Christ has given us, number one, purchasing our salvation, redeeming us, rescuing us out of the dominion of darkness, Nothing that we've done to earn that, nothing that we've done to deserve that, it's because God loved us so much that he did this freely for us, to rescue us. Man, that alone is an incredible privilege and demands our worship, demands our devotion to the Lord. But not only did God rescue us out of the dominion of darkness, he then empowered us with his Holy Spirit And as if that wasn't incredible enough, he's given us gifts, he says. He's given us gifts, again, not because we deserve them, not because we did anything to earn them. He's given them to us because he loves us. He's empowered us supernaturally with these spiritual gifts, and then he invites us to use them and to participate with him in going out and rescuing others and building up the body. I mean, what an incredible privilege when you think about all that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Now, friends, the question we need to ask this morning, and it's a question we asked last week as well, how are we going to live? How are we going to live in light of these incredible blessings and resources that Christ has given us? You know, what are you going to do with these things? How are we to live? And this is why I think that Paul inserts this, this incredible parenthetical theological commentary here in verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, Paul uses this interesting phrase, these statements here. He says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What's the point of these verses here? Verses 9 through 10. Friends, I think the point of these verses is Paul, as we talked about last week, once again wants to stress for us the importance of humility. Humility. Remember we talked so much about it last week. And here again, Paul wants to stress for us the importance of thinking of ourselves less and living for the sake of others more. And so he points to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of this. You see, Jesus modeled for us, friends, that the way up, the way up is down. And Paul says that Christ descended so that he might ascend to the highest place. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul says, Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He descended for our sakes. Jesus humbled himself, and it was because of his humility then that God exalted him to the highest place. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, Paul wants us to see this morning that the way to greatness, the way we build a championship team It comes through humility, through service. And as we'll see as we get to point number three this morning, this is the very reason why Christ has blessed each one of us with these spiritual gifts. He did this so that we might serve one another in humility and love and thereby build up the body of Christ. So number one this morning, Christ has provided the resources for the team. And now the second key to building a championship team Number two, Paul says here this morning that in order to build a championship team, you need competent coaching, called and gifted leaders to equip and guide the team. Friends, it's no accident that the two teams playing in the Super Bowl this Sunday just happen to have two of the best coaches in the NFL leading them. You know, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, both of these guys are champions, proven champions, Bill Belichick's won three Super Bowls. Pete Carroll's won two collegiate championships, one Super Bowl. These guys are competent leaders, and it's no surprise that once again, they've led their teams to the Super Bowl. Competent coaches effectively equipping and preparing their players is essential to a championship-caliber team. And friends, just like every great football team needs competent coaching, so too Christ has gifted and called specific leaders throughout history and today to equip and prepare us, his people, the church, so that we too might get in the game and that we might grow into a championship team. Look again at verses 11 through 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Now, friends, in addition to the gifts that God has given each one of us individually, Paul tells us here that Christ has also ordained certain gifted men to lead the church, to help build us up in maturity as followers of Jesus Christ, and to prepare us, his people, for works of service. Paul lists here four positions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers here can actually be read as a single position in the original Greek. It literally reads teaching shepherds. Teaching shepherds are what we would recognize today as a pastor, someone like myself or Pastor Rick, a pastor who teaches God's word. Now, of course, we have other people in the church who are given the gift of teaching who also teach and serve the body, but right here in this passage, Paul's specifically referring to the role of a pastor, a teaching shepherd. So Paul says that Christ has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors to equip us for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, growing into maturity and Christ-likeness. Now, when you look at these four positions Paul's talking about, most evangelical scholars would agree that these first two positions, the apostles and the prophets, they're no longer present in the church today. Okay? These were people that Christ gave to the church in the first century for the purpose of laying the foundation of the church. Okay? They laid the foundation. These were the ones who God used to reveal to us the truths of Scripture. As Paul says back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we are members of God's household. We are being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, Paul says. So today, we no longer have apostles and prophets in the church, at least not according to the biblical standards that God sets for these two positions. These positions had expired once God had given us his word, the Bible. These were foundational positions for the church. Today, though, we do still recognize God's use of evangelists and pastors in the church, all right? These are positions, these are called and gifted individuals who build the superstructure of the church upon the foundation that was laid by the apostles and the prophets. They build the superstructure. And the reason why we recognize the ongoing role of pastors and evangelists today is because God's word gives us clear guidance for identifying these individuals and for passing on their work to the next generation of evangelists and pastors. In fact, much of the New Testament is about this very thing, the passing of the baton to the next generation of pastors and evangelists. Take the books of 1 Timothy, for example, the book of Titus. You'll find this throughout the New Testament. Now, the bottom line with these different positions is this, this morning. We need to recognize that throughout the history of the church, God has blessed his people with competent coaches, gifted proclaimers of his word to lead and guide the team. And you know, friends, we have a lot to give thanks for when you think of the many gifted people that God has given us and he has used as instruments in our salvation and in our ongoing growth and equipping. You know, I think of how God has used these different people in my own life. You know, you think of some of the great evangelists that we've seen just in our lifetimes. You know, I think of guys like Billy Graham. You know, a guy who has proclaimed the word of God all over the world, brought so many people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, friends, I probably wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for Billy Graham. Back in the early 1970s, my mom was saved at a Billy Graham crusade when she was a young college student. And if it hadn't been for Billy Graham, I probably wouldn't be here preaching this morning. We have a lot to give thanks for when you think of the gifted evangelists that God has given the church. You know, when you think of the pastors that God has blessed the church with. You know, in my own life, I think of people like my grandpa, Harold Carlson, who faithfully served the Lord as a pastor here in Minnesota, out in California for over 50 years preaching the word every Sunday. I think of pastors like the ones I grew up under here in the Twin Cities, Bob Ricker at Grace Church in Edina. I think of Leith Anderson at Wooddale Church who had a huge influence on me as a young man in high school and college. You know, I think of our own pastor here at Lakes Free, Pastor Rick. Friends, what an incredible blessing we have in our senior pastor. Do you know what a rare thing it is for a church to have a single pastor proclaiming the word of God faithfully each week for nearly 30 years, man, friends, we have a lot to give thanks for. I hope you give thanks for the God, God-given gifts that we have in these godly men, these evangelists, these teaching shepherds who have so faithfully responded to God's call in their lives and who faithfully proclaim the word of God and so richly bless us with the truths of his word. Now, of course, friends, one of the primary reasons that Christ has given us these competent coaches, Paul says, is to prepare us, the members of the body, for works of service so that we might each contribute to the growth of the body. Friends, remember last week we talked about God wants you to be a bodybuilder. He wants you to be a bodybuilder, and so that's why God gives us these gifts, and he gives us these coaches so that we might be equipped and encouraged to contribute to the body of Christ. And this leads me lastly to point number three this morning, the third key to a championship team. It's connected teammates. Believers who are committed to one another and committed to the cause. Some of you guys were with us on our men's advance back in September. We were uh, privileged to have Pastor Carl Payne with us. He's the chaplain of the Seattle Seahawks. He was our speaker And it was really interesting hearing Carl share his stories about his work with the players in the NFL and the Seahawks specifically. And I remember when we were driving home from the men's advance, I was talking to Carl as we took him to the airport. And we were talking about our two teams, you know, I was telling him why the Packers were going to win the Super Bowl, you know. And Carl said, Jason, these these guys, the Seahawks, they're going to be tough to beat. And I said, why is that? And he said, it's because these guys genuinely love each other. You know, and if you've seen any of the interviews this past week of the Seattle Seahawks, man, they have a genuine love for one another as teammates. A lot of these guys are brothers in Christ, some incredible men of God that you guys can be praying for this week because they have an incredible platform, an international platform, and many of them are going to boldly share the gospel with people and their faith in Jesus. But you know, friends, caring about one another alone doesn't make for a championship team. But when you combine committed leadership with competent coaching, and a team that loves and plays for one another? Friends, that's the making of a championship team right there. Look at Ephesians 12, uh, verses 12 to 13. Paul says that God has given us these people, these pastors, these evangelists, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, friends, notice what Paul says here. Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teaching shepherds, for what? He says to equip his people for works of service so that the body might be built up. Friends, do you understand what this means? Okay, Paul is saying here that God wants you to get in the game, that's what he's saying. He wants you in the game, not standing on the sidelines, not watching from the, from the bench, but friends, he wants you in the game. And here's the thing, I think sometimes we get the role of the church all backwards. We get it all backwards you know a lot of churches they they think you know what let's just go out we'll go out and we'll hire the best pastor we'll go out we'll hire the best staff you know we'll get the best preacher the best worship leader we'll get a great youth pastor we'll get this great staff assembled and then we'll just sit back and we'll watch them do all the ministry oh yeah we'll cheer them on of course but but man that's what they're for right but that's exactly backwards to what god says god says that he gives us these leaders in the church to equip us, all of us, the body for works of service. God wants you to get in the game. Friends, Christ gives us the spiritual gifts we talked about earlier with the expectation that we'll use them. And then he gives us the pastors to equip us and encourage us in our use of them. But friends, our role in God's expectation is that we will use our gifts. You know, remember last week we talked about Paul's call to walk worthy, walk worthy. He talked about, we talked about last week, there's no such thing as a Christian couch potato, right? Christianity is an act of faith. It's a doing faith. It's a going faith. God gives us gifts so that we might all participate in this. Now, how do you know what your gifts are, friends? All right, now that's an interesting question. Jason, I don't know what my gifts are, so how am I supposed to use them? Friends, you discover your gifts in the process of going out and practicing your faith. You got to get in the game, all right? You get in the game. So you pick an area to serve, you ask the Lord God, where do you want me? Or you hear of a need and you jump in and you start serving. And what happens, friends, is in the process of serving and giving yourself. For the sake of others, God will begin to reveal his spiritual gifts that he's given you. And those will be confirmed through the body of Christ by the acknowledgement of others who see God using you and and they'll tell you, man, God has sure blessed you and gifted you in that area. But friends, we discover these things in the context of community as we serve together in the body and for the sake of the body. But you gotta start walking. You gotta put your faith into action And then God will begin to reveal these gifts to you. Friends, you need to understand this. We need you. The body needs you. God has uniquely gifted each one of you. And if you're not using your gifts, friends, we all miss out. We all miss out. Two weeks ago, I shared an illustration of Yosemite National Park. Two hours south of Yosemite National Park out in California is another incredible national park. It's called Sequoia National Park. And if you go to Sequoia National Park, you can see some of the largest trees in the world, the Sequoia trees. They're a species of redwood tree. The Sequoias, these are incredible trees. They grow to nearly 400 feet tall. Some of them are 2,000 years old. I mean, these are some of the largest living organisms on Earth. I mean, can you imagine 400 feet tall, 2,000 years old? These are incredible trees if you ever get a chance to see them. Now, what's interesting about these trees is they have very shallow root systems. These trees, their roots don't grow deep down into the ground. They grow shallow just under the surface. Now, if you're thinking this morning, you're saying, you know, how do these trees grow for 2,000 years, 400 feet tall, with roots that are just under the surface? I mean, they're up in the mountains. You'd think that these strong winds blowing through the mountains, these storms that come through, you'd think that these things would be toppled over. But friends, these sequoia trees, they grow in groves. They grow in groves close to one another. And what happens is their roots grow together and they entangle with one another and they intertwine with one another and they become enmeshed with one another. And as their roots grow together, these trees support one another and they help build one another up and strengthen one another and encourage one another in their ongoing growth as they reach to the sun. And friends, just like these trees grow together and their roots come together and strengthen one another and support one another, that is how God designed the body of Christ to work. He's given us gifts, each one of us, so that we might come together and grow together and live together and serve together and strengthen one another and support one another. And as we do that, friends, we grow into maturity into Christ's likeness as the body of Christ. But we need you. We need you. We need one another. And so, my prayer for us this morning, friends, as we talk about God building this championship team, my prayer for us this morning is that each of us would make a commitment to live on behalf of one another for the glory of God, that we might pray and seek ways that God might use us to contribute to his body and to the great calling that we've been given as the church to advance the gospel. God's building up the body both internally, here amongst ourselves, and externally by calling us to use our gifts to bring others into the body. But all of us have a role in this. We all need each other. We need you. Will you join us? Will you join us? I hope you will. It's the greatest adventure in the world being a part of this great calling that we've been given as the body of Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incredible gifts you've given us, Lord. Our salvation, these gifts, Lord, that you've given us, these spiritual gifts to use us, Lord, to be a part of your mission of advancing the gospel, building up your body. And Lord, I hope and pray that each of my friends here this morning would come to learn and discover their own gifts. Some of them know them, some of them don't, Lord. But Lord, I pray that you would inspire each one of us to get in the game, to begin serving, to begin using the talents and abilities that we've been given. And and in that, Lord, we'll discover our gifts and then we'll become even that much more effective in contributing to the body. But Lord, you're building a championship team and you need each and every one of us. That was your design, that was your plan. And God, I just pray that each one of us would be inspired to seek you And say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm here. Use me, Lord. Show me where I can serve. Help me have a passion for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me have a passion for the lost so that I can contribute and be a part of this great calling that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the championship team that you're building in your church. We want to be a part of that, Lord. We want to be a part. We want to get in the game. And I pray we will. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we close today? i'll leave you with these words from hebrews chapter 13 and now may the god of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep may he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through jesus christ to whom be the glory forever and ever amen